Would you pray with me, please? Let us prepare ourselves. Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and we thank you for your Son, Father. And we do pray, my Father, that our ears be open and that our eyes be open, that we might see Jesus, Father, that, that we might see him. Give us, give us eyes, eyes not yes for the physical, but eyes, Father, in the spirit. And let both the physical and the spirit see Jesus and experience him and be revolutionized by him. Let us be transformed. Let us be encouraged. Let us be fired up, my Father, by our experience of Christ. We worship you and we praise you and we honor you. In all things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. And if you would like to open your Bibles, please, I'm going to be uh, teaching today from the book of Acts of the Apostles, book of Acts, uh, chapter 9. Chapter 9 of the book of Acts, the conversion of St. Paul. Um, so you may open your Bibles, and if it is your Bible, please feel free to go ahead and mark it up. If it's not your Bible, do not. And uh, in your bulletins, there's also the insert. If you want to go from the insert, that's fine as well. But it's good to take notes. We are still in the season of Easter. In fact, I pray that we're going to be in the season of Easter for the rest of our lives. Uh, I pray that what happened on that Easter day is so transformational that everything about our lives is different because of it. And I do pray that we have eyes to see the risen Christ. Last Sunday, uh, Stephen preached, and, and he did a, a really great job, and, and I, I want to still encourage you who were here and, and heard him, that you would still share with him if you can, your, your thoughts and your encouragement to him. Uh, all pastors need encouragement, okay? And the reason we, we need encouragement is because we care. If we didn't care, we wouldn't put everything out that we, that we do. And so encouragement is important to know that that, that effort is, is valued. And I think it's important for you to do that, but it's also important for people like Stephen that are just starting out to uh, to be encouraged and to be told, you know, you bless me, uh, this is what bless me, or, you know, this is what I would suggest, or whatever, okay? But last, last week, uh, we, we saw several events, which I think are very important. We saw several events that took place in the days almost immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. And I think it's very, very important that we focus on that. On the gospel that we read last week, one of the events was the very day of Easter in the evening, the disciples 
being in a house in Jerusalem, were very scared and very afraid still because the cross was still very vivid in their lives and in their hearts. They had heard from Mary Magdalene and several of the other women, and even from John and Peter, that the body of Jesus was not there. And in fact, that he had risen and they had seen him. But only a few of them had seen him at that time, and fear and doubt and questioning was still in their hearts. So the doors being shut, the windows being locked and barricaded, and probably speaking very softly so that no one knew that there was something happening inside, the disciples were gathered, at least ten of them. Thomas was not there, and of course Judas, in shame, would not even associate with them And he may have even killed himself already. We don't know exactly when that happened. But at least ten of the disciples are in this house. Questioning, talking very softly. Wondering, what's the truth? What's not the truth? Did this happen? How could it happen? What happened to the body? All of this was probably going on in their heads. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears right in the midst of them. And as Stephen preached last week, and he said to them, Peace be with you, shalom. And all that shalom implied. And their fear, that very moment, their fear went from fear to joy. They rejoice, says the word, that the Lord was there and that they could see the resurrection was very real. During the week, they must have seen Thomas or Thomas came to the house and they said to Thomas, we saw the Lord. And Thomas said, wow. You saw the Lord. Well, what am I going to do with that? You saw the Lord. He's risen. You know, good for you. But unless I see him, Unless I have that same experience that you're talking about, and unless I put my finger through his wound, which was open still probably, and unless I look at where that spear penetrated, I'm not willing to put my life at risk for this. I, I have questions. I, I don't know what happened. I'm not saying you guys are lying. I'm just saying, I don't get it. Eight days later, after Easter, which would have been last Sunday, the disciples are still gathered in that same house. The doors are locked. The windows are barricaded. 
There's joy among them. There's a lot of conversation going on. Thomas is there. And one of the amazing things to me, I just love it, is that Jesus appears against to, again to them, right in their midst with everything locked up. And he knew exactly what Thomas had said the week before. He knew exactly. It's like the Lord is always attentive to all of us. To our doubts, our words, our good deeds, everything. The Lord knows it all and nothing escapes Him. And so this time He appears in front of them again and He addresses Thomas directly. He says, Thomas, come here. Here. Put your finger right through my wound. Go ahead and put it through. And here, touch here and put your hand right where the wound is still open. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. That experience of the resurrection of Jesus for Thomas was life transforming for that for that man life transforming he went from a skeptic to one of the to giving one of the greatest confession of faith that we might find in the bible anywhere from cover to cover from a skeptic and a doubter, he goes to, My Lord and my God! Every fear had disappeared. Every doubt, every question was answered by the appearance of Jesus right in front of Thomas. And he, from a doubter, he became a believer. And did not question ever again. His skepticism was turned to confession and adoration. That same, in last week, we also read from the book of Acts. And in, in what we read in the book of Acts, we find that Peter, after the Holy Spirit came, so we're talking about maybe three months, four months, after Easter, Peter is so emboldened that he starts going out of that house, no longer locked and no longer barricaded behind the walls. He goes to the temple and he's begun to preach that Jesus had risen from the dead, that Jesus is the Messiah. So they arrest him, put him in prison. And the next day, they bring him before the Sanhedrin at the Praetorium. Now, this is a, a fantastic thing. Because that is the same place, pretty much, where Jesus had been taken the night he was tried and condemned to death. Now Peter is there. He had been near and he denied three times that, Je that he knew Jesus. Now he's the one in trial in front of the same Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus. Now it is Peter's turn. One thing is different. The resurrection had happened. 
and, and the Holy Spirit had come. And this time Peter is unafraid. And you remember his words when they tell him that he can no longer preach Jesus. His words were, we must obey God rather than man. Remember that? We read that last week. We must obey God rather than man. All three of these events that we looked at last week show us how fishermen had been transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How men who originally were fearful and doubting had now become bold to tell others what they knew to be true. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Lord, and Jesus had risen from the dead. From fear to faith, from hiding to open boldness to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, however, today we're going to look at another dramatic change that the reality of the resurrection of Jesus had on another person. Not one of the disciples, but on the life of a man that at first we know as Saul of Tarsus. Saul was an enemy of Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. And a hater of the message of resurrection. He hated anything that made Jesus the Messiah and that he had conquered death. He hated that preaching. He hated that message. And he was going to do all in his power to quench that type of teaching in Jerusalem and anywhere else. So much that this man who was a student of Judaism... He so hated Christ in the preaching of Easter that he consented and agreed on the murder of the first Christian martyr and the first one of the first deacons of the early young church, a man named Stephen. As he was preaching the gospel, he was arrested and this guy, Saul of Tarsus, incited the multitude to stone this young man until he was dead. And he held their clothes so that they could openly and, and easily hurl the stones at Stephen. That is the level of hate that this man named Saul of Tarsus felt toward Jesus toward his disciples, and toward this preaching of resurrection. What do we know about this Saul of Tarsus? We know that he was a Jewish man. 
We know that his mother was Jewish and his father was Roman. We know that he was a devoted Pharisee. He loved Phariseeism. He loved the teaching of Israel and the Word of God, the Old Testament. He loved it passionately and he was on his way to being a rabbi. We know that he was zealous for Judaism. Zealous. We know also that he was very threatened by the teaching about Jesus because it did not fit in the mindset of the Jewish leaders. It, Jesus didn't come as they wanted him to come. Jesus didn't conquer as they wanted him to conquer. Jesus did not fit the mold they had set in their mind in the Jewish thought. And he was so zealous, so zealous for Judaism, that he intended by every way to stamp out this teaching about Jesus. He was a man full of wrath and hate toward Jesus. In fact, chapter 9, verse 1, begin with these words. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. We have a really angry man with religious zealousness who wants to stomp out any other teaching than what Judaism taught. That was his life. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he was willing to do anything for. So much that we know that he wasn't content. He wasn't content with just pursuing the Christians in Jerusalem. He gets letters of permission from the synagogue, from the temple, from the rulers... Because he's now going to start pursuing these Christians all the way to Damascus. And you can see where Damascus is compared to Jerusalem. It's a long journey. Christians had started leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution. Saul hears that in Damascus there are Christians preaching up there. And he decides he's going to go and he's going to stomp them out also. Not just in Jerusalem. Anywhere, everywhere he could find these Christians, he would stop them. He would kill them. He would shut them up. Stop preaching Jesus. Stop preaching resurrection. This is not going to happen. So he goes all the way to Damascus. And he was in this journey... And as he's approaching, approaching Damascus, that he himself has a life-changing encounter with a very much alive Jesus Christ. In fact, as we read Scripture, it tells us, suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Dead men don't talk. And he says, who are you, sir? And he hears, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. One of the things that takes place is that he falls to the ground... And as he gets up and he opens his eyes, he can't see anything. He's blind. Something has happened to him and he is completely in darkness. To the point that the people that were traveling with him lead him like a blind man all the way into Damascus and basically they place him in somebody's house and for three days St. Paul according to the scriptures St. Paul is in total darkness and he eats nothing and he drinks nothing and all he does is pray and he gets a vision of a man named Ananias coming to him. Now here's something I find extremely interesting. Jesus had spent three days in the tomb, in the darkness of the tomb. And now we find Saul spending three days in complete darkness not because he's in a tomb, but because he is in his own tomb. Three days of darkness. Three days of seeing nothing. Almost three days of not even being alive. Three days. A man who was going to do and be everything becomes a blind man in complete darkness. It's as if Jesus said to him, I'm going to let you experience not only death and the tomb, but when I bring you out, I will teach you what resurrection is all about. And for three days... St. Paul is in complete darkness. Now think with me for a moment. What must be going on in his head? A man that was at the top at one time, all of a sudden is a man so broken that he don't have energy even to eat or to drink. And blind. If you close your eyes, what would you be going through in that darkness? I guarantee you that he had questions. I guarantee you he had doubts. But then he knew what happened. So he's going from one side to the other side. He's wondering. He's remembering the death of Stephen. He remembers all the wrong he did to Jesus' church. He knows all of that. I think he's fearful too of what's going to happen to him now. I think he's going through all kinds of emotions, fears. He 
He's questioning his faith. He's questioning Judaism. He's questioning how can it be true. He's questioning, but he cannot deny that Jesus is very much alive. It's undeniable. And it is questioning every thought he ever had. Every position he ever held. Every theological point he ever held to. He's questioning them. And trying to figure out what happened. What in the world is going on? For three days... He hardly speaks to anybody. He doesn't eat. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, drink. I wonder if he even sleeps. He just prays. And wonders. And then comes a man named Ananias. Whom he had seen in a vision. And Ananias approaches him. And Ananias lays hand on Saul. And he says in the scriptures that like scales fell from his eyes. And he saw. And that day Ananias baptized him. Probably filled him with the Holy Spirit. Gave him food and nourished him into strength. And not only did Ananias give him physical vision, Ananias gave him a spiritual clarity and basically a message from Jesus that transformed his life. He gave him a purpose, a calling. Because this is what Jesus had told Ananias to tell Saul. You are a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much you must suffer for the sake of my name. The man who was quenching the gospel would become the preacher of the gospel before kings, before nations, and everywhere. The man who had done everything to stop the resurrection would become the preacher of the resurrection. He will suffer for it. But he will do this. Is what Jesus tells Ananias to tell Saul. You who once wanted to say nothing about me and you wanted to stop others, I am saying that you will be my instrument like none of the disciples. They spoke Hebrew. They could communicate to Hebrew-speaking people. You speak Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. I'm going to send you to places that none of the other disciples can go to. You are my instrument to go beyond Jerusalem all the way from Jerusalem, all through Asia Minor, all through Greece, all through Rome. And he would preach even in front of Emperor Nero. Now Jesus knew what he was doing. And this man was going to be his instrument, but he first had to break him before he could build him.
And that's what happens with us at times. Sometimes He has to break us before He can build us and use us. Sometimes He has to cause us to question all our thoughts and all our purposes in life before He can make us for His purpose. Let me tell you this in case you don't know, but just about everything you believe today, it's all from Paul. Just about all the theology that we hold, at least 80% of all that we know about Jesus is Pauline. Almost all of the New Testament, I would say almost 75% of all the New Testament is Paul's figuring out how to interpret what Jesus meant as a risen Lord to a changed world. All that we believe today in the church is because of this man, Saul of Tarsus, the hater of Christ, who was going to be transformed This Saul, of course, became the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the greatest of all the evangelists of the gospel we have ever experienced. The zealot for Judaism became the zealot for Christ. The the enemy of Christ became the friend of Jesus. The persecutor of the church became the planter of so many churches all through the then known world. The hater of the resurrection became the preacher of the resurrection. And eventually he even gave his life for the sake of that gospel that he initially wanted to stamp out. And he was beheaded in Rome at the hand of the Emperor Nero. Just a few days after Peter was crucified. Also in Rome. The man who hated Jesus now gives his life to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead. That Jesus was the Son of God. That Jesus was the Messiah promised not just for Israel, but for all people. That forgiveness of sins took place at the cross. That the power of God was evident at the cross of Jesus. The persecutor becomes the preacher. And he died for that purpose. So what we see is, not only did we see a change in the disciples because they experienced the resurrection, now we see an enemy of Christ completely transformed because the resurrection of Jesus was undeniable fact. Undeniable fact. He couldn't deny it. He couldn't deny it to the point that he gave everything 
for that purpose to preach the resurrected Jesus. The question that I think you and I need to have is what effect does the resurrection of Jesus have in you and me? Has the resurrection or does the resurrection of Jesus transform us? And to what level does it transform us? Do we still have our own life and then our Christianity? Like two different things side by side. I am a Christian but I must live this life. Or does the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And all of our life is now about Jesus. Even at work. Even with friends. Even with our family. Even with any and everybody. Does the resurrection of Jesus change our relationships? Does it change our job? Does it change our purpose in life? How have we been transformed? Formed by the resurrection of Jesus. Is the resurrection a theological thing in our heads, but it hasn't changed our everyday life? The resurrection of Jesus, if it's real, it causes everything in us to change. Every value we held before now becomes subservient to the values of Jesus Christ. Every purpose that we had before now becomes subservient to the purpose of proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Every bit of life we thought and every direction we thought we had and every control we thought we had becomes subservient to the control of Jesus. If the resurrection is real... It changes everything in our lives. If it doesn't change things in our lives, we have somehow put the resurrection in a cubbyhole of our minds. We believe it's true, but it has no power to change me. I still haven't dealt with it. And the consequences that Jesus Christ died for me, rose from the dead, and is coming again. Because once we deal with it, it changes the game. It changes all of life. It changes all of us. If it doesn't, we haven't dealt with it. It's somewhere in a cubbyhole, somewhere in our lives. We believe it. If somebody asks us, we'll tell them. But we won't risk anything for Christ. If it costs too much, this changes. What we see in the life of the apostles is that they went from fear to joy from doubt to boldness. They, their whole life was transformed even unto death. What we see in Paul is that as a persecutor of the church, he becomes the builder of the church of Jesus Christ, the planter of the church of Jesus Christ, the preacher of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His whole life became Jesus Christ. All other things were considered rubbish, as he himself writes 
in one of his letters in Philippians. All other things become rubbish for the sake of attaining to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you apply to your life this transformation in the life of disciples, this transformation in the life of the enemy of the cross? I say to you, for me, those are clear examples that the resurrection is real and that the resurrection transforms us and that the resurrection will lead us. So I, my question for you, how does, do these conversions of the disciples and of Paul, how do these conversions affect you? What are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? If it's real and you know it is, how does that change your life? Apply it. Pray about it. Ask yourself, do I need to see a light from heaven before I'm changed? Or am I already convinced in my heart by the presence of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is alive and he's coming back? And what difference does that make in my life? Stand with me, please.